Three, two, one. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's Inc., Aluma Trailers, Onyx Hunt, Nutrisource Pet Foods, and by Chief Upland. Today, we're going to take you on a snipe hunt, a real snipe hunt. Bill Shirk is my guest. He just returned from a week in Florida filming one of the most unique bird hunts we'll probably ever attempt to capture. Did he bag a snipe? Did he get lost in the forest looking for a bird that doesn't exist? You're about to find out. Nutrisource Pet Foods just launched a new product that can give our active hunting dogs a big boost when they need it most. It's called Kombucha. Nutrisource Kombucha, inspired, of course, by kombucha, is a savory, meaty bone broth topper that's packed with activated postbiotics from a fermentation product that thrives in the gut to promote a healthy gut ecosystem for digestion support. That's a mouthful. But what it means for us bird dog owners is that we now have a healthy topper to pour over our dog's food if they're ever stressed or won't eat while on a long hunting trip. Kombucha is offered in three flavors, turkey, beef, and chicken, and comes in a 12-ounce pouch. Nutrisource high-performance dog foods provide exceptional healthy nutrition for active dogs of every breed, just like my dog, Daisy. Now they have a topper that gives our four-legged hunters another edge when they need it the most. Check out their full lineup of dog foods at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton. As always, is our producer, Brandon. I didn't even realize this, but the last episode that we put that we put out was episode 100. Today, we're recording episode 101. Do we have like a, a milestone? I'll, what do we do here? Uh, I'll put in some celebration and firework, firework noises and post edit or something, maybe. Sure. I, but otherwise, no. Maybe some sparkling grape how, juice. How many 100 episodes have you celebrated in your lifetime? I think this is like my ninth 100th episode of a show, something like that. Of other shows? Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, I mean, and how do we? How special is this one to you? It's, Lie it's, to me. It's more special than the others because it's my ninth. Oh, there yeah. you go. The, the first through like eight were whatever, <laughs> but the ninth is where it really counts. That's where I've really settled in. Bill, how does it feel to be beyond episode 101? Well, it feels like crap. This should be episode <laughs> one. <laughs> Number. I appreciate one. your honesty, Brandon. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it feels better than most. No, it should feel better than every okay. other yeah. podcast right. I'll, ever. I'll, I'll make sure to edit that in there. A little little editor's note. Sure. Can we get sound effects? What do we got to do to get sound effects? I'll put in something here? in there. Do you want? Do you want like horns blasting? Or Loud, whatever? Yeah. obnoxious sound effects. Got it. Yeah. No, yeah. You know, you right. listen to a lot of. Uh, if you listen to live. Radio, don't do it because our show today is going to be way better than any radio show you're going to listen to on your way home. So Travis, don't change the channel. But I love it. If Good. Yeah, if you were <laughs> Good to, attitude. if you were to listen to live, a lot of times they've got the button bars with yes. all the different sounds. Yes, I, I think I want to add that in next. I guarantee is that episode two hundred? Yeah, I, gar- I guarantee you. Next episode we record in studio, I will have that for you. Well, it, hey, bar. we are in studio. Can, today. I, That's exciting. Yeah. I haven't seen you in a while. It has been. And a while. Bill, I haven't seen you. You've been up in Canada. Hey. And then you've been way down south. You've been on the road. You, I can't tell if you got sunburn, windburn, a combination of both. Your beard is your beard is looking great today, by the way. <laughs> it's about to get cut off. My wife's about to kill me. 
What? Because I have been traveling. We went from um, 30 below in Canada, where we also got, actually it was like 33 below. We also got two feet of snow on that trip. Wow, you're being kind of dramatic. 33 below and two feet of snow. Oh, you'll see. (laughs) We come home. I spend like 12 hours at home. We go to Duluth for a hockey tournament where the kids are skating indoors and outdoors. And yes, it was overly chilly on that trip. Get home, unpack the hockey gear, throw a shotgun in a case, throw some underwear in, and jump a plane to Florida. And this is where we begin today's journey. Well, it's funny because that's known as the sunshine state, right? Sure. We didn't see one ounce of sunshine. What? We saw rain, clouds, and wind. Well, I mean. So what else do you want to talk about? <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for today's show. We'll get you next week. Womp womp. Yeah. Okay. So quickly, what were you doing up in Canada? Lake trout fishing? We were up to see some of our friends at uh, Totem Resorts, specifically Yellowbird Lodge, which is part of that group. Uh, you know, the U.S. side of Lake of the Woods is... Well, like capital of the world. It, definitely. And yeah. if you look out at the lake, it sure looks like it because there are literally thousands of ice houses out there. Thousands. And we're starting to hear some mixed reports on the fishing in that part of the lake. Well, the folks at Totem say, well, wait a second. You go another whatever, 60 to 80 miles up Lake of the Woods, we're just lonely up here. It's just us and the fish. (laughs) A lot, a lot of it, and gross. So we had it, yeah, so we headed north to test that theory, and it seems to, no pun intended, hold water. Yeah. Um, Walleyes, good lake trout, and powder that was so deep it was flipping our snowmobiles. Really? So it was. How many times did you have to dig out? Pretty amazing. Well, I didn't have to dig myself out once because I know how to run a snowmobile. Wow, you stallion. <laughs> but we had a couple others that flipped a few times. <laughs> you just flipped them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, was just, Aaron driving a snowmobile? No, no you didn't go with Aaron. Who's no, the, who the cameraman? Uh, the photojournalist Side Otson oh, was yeah, on that Cy. trip. Yep. And of course, the way it works is the photojournalist always gets stuck with the oldest sled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Technology's come a long way in snowmobiles, especially yeah. when it comes to cold and deep snow. Yeah. So poor Cy was trying to wrestle this thing. You know, we eventually stretched a belt, so we had to do a bush fix i mean it was just awesome yeah that sounds like a cool adventure we found abandoned gold mines that we had to literally throw rocks into uh to make sure the bears weren't in there before we went in to explore it just it's going to be quite an episode for our local show minnesota bound yep yep and you also produce and host a minnesota bound podcast as well so yep. brandon yes. if you had to choose lie to me again here oh jeez <laughs> i'm putting you on the spot i know it's gonna happen here. i know it's gonna happen yeah here. i'm gonna plead the fifth yeah <laughs> you like our shows equally don't you they're, they're both wonderful shows yes and i have yes. so much fun producing both of them that's yes. weird because the last time we talked about minnesota bound podcast the stories behind the stories he used the word love not like oh Wow. And have uh, you hit hundred have season. you hit hundred episodes yet? Uh we're yeah. at two hundred and seventy-four. They're at one oh one right now, I believe. So they're one episode ahead. This is one oh one. I yeah, I think they're doing a one oh two this week. <sighs> whatever, guys. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Well, All right. Have, hey Travis, they have three hosts. 
to spread out the, the yes whole, that's yeah, right yeah, so. yes my heart is full <laughs> <laughs> you've you've individually done more episodes than they have yeah individually. take that Man. take that Anyway, great job. Uh, it's good to be here with both of you. Uh, I'm glad that you're back. I'm glad that you've got windburn, Bill. <laughs> I'm glad your wife hasn't forced you to shave your beard. Yet. Why are you going to cut the beard? Uh, because my wife said so. There you go. That's yeah. all you need right there. Anything makes else? Total sense to me. No, that's all. Yeah, that's a great reason. It's going to be our line of the day. Anything else you'd like to talk <laughs> about? Else well, no. I suppose uh, there's a lot of. Um, when 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 people say you're gonna go on a snipe hunt, yep. you know there's it's the joke. Yep. Brandon, you ever heard about I've heard going, the joke? Yes. Yeah. Yep. How does it go? They go well. First, you go to the closet, you get out your old Cub Scout uniform that doesn't <laughs> fit anymore. Yeah. And then you get a flashlight with alkaline batteries that have molded and rusted and leached <laughs> inside the old flashlight. You get a brown paper bag and a stick. And you wait till sunset, and then you head outside for a really fun snipe adventure. Yeah. Have you ever been on one? I have never. Uh, and that is the honest truth. I always, you know, listen to that crap and said, no, I'm uh, no, I'm yeah. not going to do that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Until last week. Until <laughs> last week. I finally <laughs> fell for it. <laughs> finally. Uh, but no, it's the old joke, right? Go out, make some noise in the weeds, and, yep. yeah. and you'll get a snipe. Oh, there's a snipe in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my old friend Todd Fuller, who is a hunting and fishing guide, um, previously in Michigan, now in Florida, said, you got to come down. Florida has a completely underutilized hunting resource, and it's snipe hunting. And of course, the conversation starts with, oh, cute. Right, sure. He said, no, really, legit. Um so we started doing some research with Todd, and holy cow, what a resource. Well, and what did you find when you researched it? Because I've had a couple of other <laughs> uh, viewers reach out, too, that said, hey, if you ever want a warm uh, warm weather bird hunt in late winter, you come down and go on a snipe hunt. Yep. And then it's like, all right, you know. <laughs> how much do you how much do you trust people? What are you going to see? You know, because it's a, it's a pretty big commitment on our end when we, when we you know, Pack everything up, book flights, get, you know, lodging figured out, like just all the logistics behind it. It's just the same as if anybody else were going on a travel, a vacation or whatever, but we've got guns, we've got camera gear, we've got to come back with the TV show. Like there's always that pressure on our shoulders that no matter what we experience out there, we need to produce a 30 minute television show that is going to air. So what did you find when you did a little digging into this hunt? What was your, um, what was your what were your expectations when you jumped on the airplane? Well, you talk about logistics. The other big part of this trip included a Falcon X rocket, but we'll get to that in just a bit. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Space, well, then, I SpaceX. Guess, you heard of SpaceX? Yeah, yeah. I have. So yeah. if we're gonna go to Florida, we might as well make uh, it worth the trip, right? Yeah. So um, for this, you trust your sources. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd has been around the block. Um, he's part of a reputable um, um, rep firm in the outdoor industry, and you just trust when Todd says to. yeah. this is worth your time. I know he's telling us the truth. Plus, you, you have experience that, with him. You know, absolutely. he's a trustworthy guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Add to that, he says, "Oh, our old buddy Flip Pallet's going to come along on the hunt," and. 
the everyone fish, the knows who legend. Flip is. If you've yep. ever seen Yeti, you know that you know weathered fishing face. And um, Flip and I have history. Um, he's one of my fishing mentors, and so when you put those two guys together, what's, what's I'm going to book a trip. Yeah, what's Flip's reputation in the fishing industry besides the weathered face? What is he known for most? Uh, Fly fishing. Fly fishing, the Florida scene, and he was one of the pioneers in outdoor television. Walker K. Chronicles is one of the most beautiful pieces of television storytelling um, you will find. He's a pioneer. He's the guy who started it, and you know he and Jose Wahebe were just icons of that Florida fishing scene. Yeah. And he can cast any person on this planet into a corner. With a fly rod. With a fly rod. And probably conventional gear, too. You know, we've got history. We used to fish a fundraiser together. Um, I was a small fish in a big pond. It was called Hooked on a Cure, put on by April Conrad. And the best flyinglers on the planet would all converge. We did it in Arkansas, we did it in Colorado, and people would pay copious amounts of money to fish alongside us. And, um, you know, all the money went to St. Jude's Children's Hospital, which is a very profound place. So, you know, a lot of good karma there, getting to know, flip through that event, and, you know, just being able to sit around a campfire and steal just a little bit of uh, advice from people like sure. that. You know, sticks with you. Well, the last few weeks I've been talking uh, with, you know, answering list listener questions one week, and then my guest yesterday, and we were talking about how to become a more confident hunter, and just having a mentor or mentors mm -hmm. in your life that you can soak things up from mm -hmm. is so invaluable. Yep. You know, and so obviously Flip, you know, being a, a fishing mentor for you, but pretty cool that you get to plan this out uh, with him to meet him down there and spend some time with him. So you, your expectations going into this hunt were what? Epic. Yeah. I mean, it's Florida. It's the sunshine state. So I'm going to go down get a tan, <laughs> chase yeah. some birds, hopefully not get nipped by a snake. Yep. And maybe catch some fish. Maybe catch some fish. You know, the other thing about Flip that most people don't know, he is part of a group that put together a new rum company. Okay. Um, they literally went to Panama and met the rum czar of planet Earth. I mean, the biggest name, gave them all the advice. They worked together. So the first night, you know, picture us under the palm trees in Flip's backyard with the bonfire going, sipping on rum. Little Drankson. And uh, Todd looks at me and says, what do you think? I said, well, <laughs> it's it's way above average. This yeah. is pretty <laughs> special stuff. He said, yeah, it should be. It's like a $150 bottle of rum. Deepers. And I went, what? <laughs> There's no pirate on the front of it. <laughs> I'm not used to drinking this. So, you know, it was it's just great. And you sit around and you hear the stories. Um, that That is where I wanted to be on that trip. Meaning, yeah. you know, you talk expectations. That as much as anything is what many of these trips are about. But I don't know anything about St. John's River, which is one of, what, six rivers on planet Earth that runs north? Who knew, right? That's where you guys were, were based out of, I guess? Based out of. So Flip and his good buddy Johnny, who was kind of our boat guide, um, 
they both have airboats, you know, that are custom made by a friend of Flips. I asked about the boats. There's a five or six year wait to, to get, one. get one of these airboats because they are so good. Um, well, I've been on airboats before down there, yep. and we filmed off of them, and you know they're unbelievably loud. Like, I mean, the the amount of disruption that they cause when they start up and they start going across the water, you, you're like, everything in the county knows that we're out here right now. There's <laughs> no sneaking up on them. But that doesn't necessarily have an effect on nope. your guys' plans, huh? Nope. And these guys use aircraft motors in their boats, which are not as loud oh, so as you're stealthy automotive okay. motors. They're both plenty loud it's a <laughs> prop everyone knows what an airplane sounds like right yeah there aren't a lot of whisper modes but it's part of life down there obviously they're keeping their distance from the specific areas we want to hunt birds and it's just what they do it's the only way to get around without an airboat you would not really be able to get into many of these areas along the river and yeah. to paint a picture it's a big wide river tannic water um, What's your visibility? Uh, well, it, I don't know. A, we measuring, a couple of feet. You can you know, see it's that. Just, okay. It's tannic. It's yeah. that root beer looking water. Um, didn't see too many alligators because of the cold, rainy weather, so they stay down in the warm water. But you've got these flats, um, almost like a marsh along the sides. Um, and it's not a couple hundred yards. It's a half a mile or three-quarters of a mile in mm -hmm. spots. And Flip refers to it as the prairie. It's Florida's version of, of a, prairie. a prairie. If you're an avid outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumakln.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. Besides a bird dog, a shotgun, and a good pair of boots, the Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I talk about the Onyx Hunt app every week. That's simply because I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state-owned land, federal lands, and walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. If you hunt grouse in the Northwoods, there's a timber cut layer to help you find ideal forest habitat. If you're planning to hunt North Dakota, there's a very important layer that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. 
These are just a few of the many tools Onyx Maps give us. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. It's, it's unique down there too, my experience, if we maybe we were near the same area where you are, it, you wouldn't think Florida has that much wilderness, you know, that much really landscape, marsh, water, trees that is so vast. It's on, nobody's living there. Um, you know, so I, I think it, it's, is an eye opening experience just to see that much yes. of Florida that, I mean, you, you think vacation, you think tourists, but it's remote. There are some very, very remote places in Florida, and I assume that's where you guys were hunting? Yeah, it's anything inland, right? So we were based out of the town of Titusville, which um, 30 miles straight east of Orlando, probably best known for Kennedy Space Center. Sure. Um, but you take a 10-minute drive down the road. Is this, is this part of our rocket talk a little bit? <laughs> rocket talk. <laughs> okay. There will be some rocket talk. <laughs> okay. All right. And... Uh, so, you know, you, you launch the boats. We launched from a public launch with a restaurant called the Jolly Gator. Okay. 10-minute um, airboat ride through the raindrops, which television photojournalists really love. Yeah, yeah of Top course. five, you know. So yeah. we were fighting some tougher conditions. Um, but uh, the river level was a little bit high for this time of year. Normally things are drying out. This is the quote-unquote dry season yeah. in the quote-unquote sunshine state. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of ribbing on this trip. Yeah. Uh, but we'd pull the airboats in. Um, you know, Flip, Johnny, and Todd would say, hey, this is a cool-looking flat or area. Let's get out and walk it. Can I ask, what are you looking for? What are they looking for when they say this is a cool-looking yep. area? What does that mean? So... Uh, sniper a shorebird. Um, they are a smaller bird or a little more trim bird than a woodcock. Okay. Long beaks. And it's interesting the way they described it to us and we checked it out. You know, these snipe have long beaks, but the end of those beaks are actually flexible. So they're able to push their beaks down into the mud and then use the end of their beak to sort of feel around and find the crustaceans and the worms and that's how they eat. So they need soft ground. Hard dirt doesn't work for them. If you want to find them when they are in a feeding mood, they are in the soft stuff. So much of what we walked was kind of wet, muddy, very stable ground. But an inch of water, we found birds in areas where there was much as four or five inches of water and they just are finding those soft areas. And because of the rain, it changed our hunt a little bit. Because now suddenly there are a bunch of new areas with soft earth. Mm -hmm. And so we focused on those thinking the birds have been pecking all these other areas they're used to. Ooh, now there's a new buffet open. Let's go try there. Mm -hmm. And that is widely where we found a lot of our birds. Are you wearing hip waders, knee-high rubber boots? What? What do yeah. you need to... Yeah, so I had knee-high rubber boots. Okay. Um, you know, we've, um, for another of the shows um, I host, made for the outdoors. We go in and see how your favorite outdoor gear gets made this season. We were in Thorogood, yep. which um, 
is an iconic brand. Heck, they've been around longer than the Ford Motor Company, making boots in Wisconsin. And they gave us some of their new knee-high rubber boots to wear. Shame on me. What's the rule when you have new boots? Break them in. Break them in. I put my thorough goods on, you know, tore the tag off, put them on, walked 12 miles <laughs> in uh, two and a half days, and the boots were unbelievable. And to walk for whatever, six, eight hours a day in water and have dry, comfortable feet. That's a big deal. Big deal. So did you little was, hats was off to Thoroughgood. Was it a hard bottom area that you didn't have to yeah. worry about ever? Yeah, it's not It's not um, like you're getting stuck in the mud. It's Yeah, it's not like your duck hunt. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, what is interesting is this late season and the places we normally hunt birds cattails right yeah you're plowing through cattails well they have this um grass down there and areas we would walk it it's florida's version of cattails even mm-hmm. if it's knee high you can't get through it you're plowing you're trudging i tried to stay out of it for the most part because i have this thing about snakes <laughs> that was one of my questions you know <laughs> snakes aren't cool to me right um but because of the cold weather, for the most part, they're down. I will tell you, there was one point where I was walking through the grass, kind of plowing through, because we saw some birds drop into those areas. And I came to this little clearing, maybe, I don't know, 10 feet across, and there were rabbit droppings. They have a specific kind of rabbit down there. I don't quite remember what it was, but we knew, I knew one of the rabbits had been there. And then with the droppings, there were these white snake skins <laughs> that was about as thick as your forearm. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and two or three chunks. So something had obviously gotten to this snake and taken advantage of that snake meat. And here was this leftover pile. And I just had to stop for about five seconds and just. Get the willies, Shake the willies get the shakes out of, out of, me. Out of yeah. me. Just oh. like, ah, so man. Do you, did you ever, let's just get to it. Did you ever encounter a live snake? No. Oh, good. No snakes. Thank no goodness. Snakes. Any um, gators? We saw a few gators around, nothing that would catch you off guard. Again, because the weather was cool. There's For this time of year, lethargic. we had highs of like 60, 62 degrees. Or the lows? Uh, I don't know. I was indoors when that was happening. Okay. But. Well, I ran into a rattler out in Arizona, and our lows were in the 20s yeah. at night, and I still ran into a rattler that was yeah. not expecting that. It was always in the back of my head, but mm-hmm. for the most part, we stayed out in the open and out of that grass. There were just a couple areas where we walked through, so you'd have these just expansive flats. It's bizarre because the area we're hunting during the summer, mm-hmm. we're under five or six feet of water. But during the dry season, the river drops, all that floodplain comes back to the river, it dries out, and that's where those snipe, which have migrated from the northeast, that's where they spend their winter. So, so that's, that's where the we were main focused. migratory ending point for snipe, and yep. they'll go all the way up past Maine, or how far up do they go? Uh, well, the birds couldn't tell us exactly <laughs> where they were from, but <laughs> well, Jersey thought, was, sure. we were told the Jersey Shore, okay. seriously, is... Really? Where they think there's a pretty high population. Gotcha. So, so are you, you're not hunting them with dogs, right? You're, nope. Do some people hunt them with dogs? So it's interesting. That was one of my questions. And for me to explore this new bird, 
I was very intrigued by that. Um, the snipe season starts in September in Florida. So at that point, the landscape looks very different from yeah. end of January. Snakes can be a factor at that point. Um, so that's, I think, one reason you don't hear about as many people hunting with dogs. The second thing is, and the further we got into the hunt, the more I understood this, the way those birds fly, especially on the flats, mm-hmm. they're low. They're often a foot off the ground, two feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. There is no way I would feel comfortable hunting those birds and trying to get a shot at them yeah. with the dog around. Gotcha. But Did- we got some feedback from people who saw us there. Periodically, people do hunt with dogs, but for me, that seems like tricky business unless it's, you know, you and your dog alone. Mm-hmm. Right. It's so a hard it, one it'd to be trust. a case by case basis. Yep. I mean, and obviously this time of the year would be ideal to have the dog out there uh, without having that snake gator presence yep. to worry about. How long does their snipe season last? You oh, know? gosh. It goes through the end of February, I believe. Okay. I might have that wrong, but I think it's into February. Season shuts down. Um, Eight birds a day you can keep. Um, I'm not sure what the possession is. You know, I don't think you reached it, did you? Me. No, we didn't reach it. Okay. Um, it's interesting. We were hunting late season birds. So even if they've been hunted just a few times, uh-huh. they did not hold. You're hunting wild birds that flush wild, and unlike any other critter I have chased, as soon as they move, they are at 100% speed. They're like a Mern's quail. They are more challenging than any bird I have chased. Really? People talk about woodcock. Yep. Woodcock now, after chasing snipe, seem like the slowest bird in the world. <laughs> <laughs> they wow. just, boom, gone. And you're not using dogs. Yeah. You don't see these birds on the ground, so it is wild flushes, and it is completely... Um, reactionary shooting, which is fun, challenging, challenging and yeah. just a different game. Well, that's why, you know, at the beginning I said this is, might be one of the most unique hunts we ever try yes. to capture because yes. of the challenges. It's one thing for you to shoot it. We're there to film a TV show, and if it doesn't get caught on TV, our rule is it didn't happen. Yep. And we tell everybody when we show up, if the camera doesn't see it, it didn't happen because we're here for one reason only, and that's to show people the reality of what we're doing out there. So mm-hmm. um, did Aaron struggle to to see the birds? I know he's just a, a machine out there and capturing everything. Yeah, so Aaron Ochtenberg is our um, production manager and kind of director of photography, and he is very much a perfectionist when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. We always walk away from hunts, and he plays the martyr card a little bit. Oh, I'm not quite sure what we got. I don't know if it went that well. <laughs> and they're always just these beautiful, slow-mo, tight shots. Yeah. You can see the pupils of the dang birds. You know, he, yeah. he works really hard. Yes, these birds were a challenge because when we hunt with dogs, whether it's a flusher or a pointer, that is always an indication. Yeah, you got to heads you know, up. That Usually they're like, going. Hey, it's and this was completely wild hunting what we have in our cameras there's a little piece of technology called the cache yeah or the cache <laughs> a lifesaver for our the camera in, our in its brain you can set it up so that it is always rolling 
like a pre-roll of 10 or 15 seconds. So as soon as you hit the record button, the previous 10 seconds is recorded. Mm -hmm. Which, if a bird flushes wild and the camera's pointed in the right direction... You've got it. You've got it. Even if it's not pointed in the right direction, you can still swing on that moment to try and find the bird, and Mm -hmm. that's... All right, we're going to get deep here. We're going into television video science your eyes when you walk into a room the research shows you see this big room and then in a couple milliseconds your eyes focus in on the pick an object you know um bookshelf across the way which is kind of like medium and then you notice on the bookshelf oh there's a phone so now you're on the phone oh and the phone's got a red light flashing oh you're tight on the red light the greatest photojournalists shoot the very same way. There's a rule in our business. Wide, medium, tights. Wider, wides, tighter, tights. And so to shoot that way is the same thing. To just swing on a bird and capture that moment is really the same as your eyes see it. So it's a great little moment in television. And much of how we document this show, which is reality, mm-hmm. we're not making it up. We're not staging shots. Not we're placing just documenting a the world. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know. So even if it doesn't seem like we've gathered it perfectly, it plays really well as a moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't it's it shouldn't be like a perfectly okay, nope. I'm tight on the bird, nope. go ahead and flush it now. You know, the camera swings just like your eyes swing and then you pick it up and anyway, we're getting into the little deep into in the here. weeds. We're in, into the weeds. So um, the population of snipe, what what are we talking here? Like what's a good day of flushing snipe? I mean, how many birds do you see? So we saw hundreds of birds a day. Really? Mm-hmm. And that is normal? I, I mean, I, I honestly have no idea what to expect. So is that uh, normal? Well, both Todd and Flip just apologized to us and said this is some of the worst snipe hunting they've seen. Hmm. And I giggled like a little schoolgirl and said, <laughs> yeah, I feel really bad. No, yeah. it was wonderful. Yeah. So the first day we walked and the first morning we put up maybe half a dozen birds. Not great. But we knew they were looking for something. And that first afternoon, we found this flat that was, holy cow, a mile and a half long with an old, you know, I said, it's dry during the winter months. So they actually can have cattle out grazing in some of those areas. So we found a fence line, barbed wire fence with this eroded fence that spends half the year underwater. And just that gave us our direction. And we walked that and we put up. 400 birds in the wow. afternoon. Wow. Wow. How far between? So you're just walking in kind of like a yep. straight line? Sort Sometimes of a mini army? Sometimes it's a or? single bird that flushes. Yeah. Sometimes it's three or four So birds. kind of like a covey? Yeah, you can call it uh, small coveys. We, I don't think we ever saw eight or ten birds together, but uh-huh. we'd see two, three, and four. Would that be, it wouldn't be like a family group. It would just be, they happen to have, you know, whatever worms or, or crustaceans Birds or whatever. they together. Yeah, yep. they were just together and like, oh, we're out. Now, what's interesting about snipe, and it's key to hunting them successfully, again, because these flushes are just ridiculously erratic. Yeah. A snipe will flush, go up, fly around, and if you keep eyes on it, 
they will circle around and sometimes come back. The same spot. And that's how you get <laughs> passing, passing shots at snipe. Think about a um, sharp-tailed grouse. When they get up, they fly, and they go to the horizon, Yeah. right? So we saw that with a lot of the birds early on. You go, I give up. This is too difficult. And then you start really honing in and watching them, sometimes for 30 seconds or a minute. He's coming back. Todd, on your right. Interesting. So they've there's it's kind of like when you jump wood ducks. If you wait long enough, you, they almost always come back at least once. They're right. going to circle it. Interesting. So huh. that was fun. And again, these were what they would consider late season birds. So mm-hmm. they were a little bit more finicky, but they definitely came back. Probably a third of them came back around. Okay. The problem was those birds were at you know a hundred. 150 yards when they came back. Don't even get a shot at them. But Flip talks about they actually are communicating. They've got this squawk to them. This scrape, scrape, scrape. They say escape. It's the scape part of escape. (laughs) Um, But they're communicating. So those birds that are flying know where the rest of the birds still are, and they kind of move back towards them. And on that flat, we were bumping birds ahead. So they'd get up, flush, some would take like off those and damn go pheasants away. and the cattails that just keep getting yep. up ahead and they just of you. pop up, jump up, mm-hmm. pop back down. Now we're out in an open flat, so they can see you coming. Mm-hmm. Um, was it exciting? Like, did you, if you compared it to other types of bird hunting, how would it rank for you? It was equal. Yeah, it was equal. Just because it had its own unique challenges. Own unique challenges. Um, you're probably a little more on point only because you never know when and where a bird is going to get up. Did you ever see them before they would flush? Be never. Like, oh, not there. once. And I was really? looking hard. But, you know, we have our issues among flush members. You're deaf. I'm <laughs> colorblind. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. We're so imperfect. And these, great. <laughs> and these birds are, to me, kind of brownish. A little bit of green, rust-colored. Scott and Ron's? <laughs> as long as we're here. Scott has no hair. <laughs> Thanks Ron, for coming back, Brandon. Yeah, Ron, yeah. it's yeah. well-documented, is deaf and blind. <laughs> and can't hit anything. I mean, he does television stories on it. Every time we ask a listener viewer questions, they're like, how many hours of Ron's misses do you have to cut out? <laughs> I love it so much. Right? Yeah. So, we are just very imperfect. <laughs> yeah. And I told those guys, I the second day Travis was having the hardest time seeing the flushes because these birds get up and they're they don't they don't a get in the off sky. the ground, so they're in this, you know, grass and and little muck yeah. weeds. And I until I could see movement or they get above the skyline, I could see them there. It was very, very difficult for me. I'm assuming you took a 20 gauge? I took a 20 gauge. Um, Opened up that choke? Uh, Were they close shots or did you want to? So it's interesting. I had modified and improved modified in, which I thought was a good mix for this. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, gosh, I should be at cylinder because you're shooting these birds so low, you can see your pattern. Yeah. And Flip said, this is a full choke number nines game. Because they're so fast. And And I was shooting seven and a halves. 
but it's a different mentality. I don't think there's a way to give yourself way to give them a chance, Bill. You are so sporting. I think there is no right or wrong in this game. It's still widely unexplored territory. Well, yeah. Is it a popular pastime down there? There are some. They talk about some people snipe hunting. Mm -hmm. You know, we'd be in an area where every once in a while you'd see a couple of shells. Um, but it's not but, like, hey, we're at the. Well, it's, it's nine o'clock in Minnesota, nope. and there's eighteen trucks at the nope. starting gate, and they all have airboats, nope. and they're revving their engines. To- and, and we touched a tiny, tiny, tiny portion of the river. Yeah. I mean, we pick three or four flats that we hunt in. There are hundreds. Yeah, it depends where you put in and where you choose to go. For generations, bird hunters have hit the fields carrying some form of a vest or game pouch on their backs. Sometimes the vests rip, tear, and fall apart. Other times, they're downright uncomfortable. That's why Chief Upland designed a vest that's durable, comfortable, and fits your needs. Their new Upland vest is fully customizable to fit the size and shape of all hunters. Plus, you decide where you want to attach your shell pouches and accessories. Birds can be front-loaded into the game pouch, and they fit nicely in the back without sagging. That's a big deal because the weight disbursement on your back and shoulders won't tire you out, even with a full pouch of birds. The vest itself is extremely lightweight, weighing only 2.56 pounds. The material is built out of Kodura fabric, which is the same waterproof fabric used in tactical military gear. You can confidently hunt with a chief upland vest in some of the world's toughest environments. Order your Chief Upland vest now to make sure that you're ready for your next hunt. Push further and hunt longer with a game-changing vest from Chief Upland, built for your pursuit. If you're a hunter, chef, meat processor, or just a human like me that makes their own food, then you likely would be interested in the products that are sold at Walton's. There are a few places that you can buy products to process and prepare your meat. There are not a lot of places that you can buy those products and learn how to use them from experts. Walton's is that place. They have everything, and I mean everything, for your cooking and wild game processing needs. Plus, they have experts on staff to help you learn how to use those products to get the best results. John Tremblay hosts their Meatgistics podcast, live stream, and chats, which are interactive learning tools for the meat processing community. If you have questions, John and his team have the answers. From sausage making to smoking, recipes to seasonings, and so much more. Walton's products ship the same day you order. They have over 5,000 items in stock. From grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, and anything else you can imagine. Order the same seasonings and supplies that professionals use from the best name in the wild game processing industry. Walton's. They have everything but the meat. All in all, you said your expectation going into it would be this would be an epic adventure. You probably came out thinking this was an, an epic, epic adventure. Adventure, yeah. Airboats. Mm-hmm. You're riding around, going, "Really? Am I doing this right now?" Yeah. And it's funny because they'd fly the, you know, they'd zip over these flats, and Johnny had this finger point. First off, he's in front of me. He's got a single seat where he is commanding the boat. There's a tight little double seat right behind him, which Aaron and I are sitting in. You're up high, so your center of gravity is pretty high. And I've got Johnny's mullet flipping in my face. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just laughing. And the way you communicate, he'd point. 
He just, his finger would drift off to the right. It'd drift off to the left. And off the end of his finger would be a snipe flushing here and flushing there and flushing here. The other dang part of this game, metal arcs. Mm. So you had other birds that would, that would add to the, you had to identify before you could pull the trigger. Um, it was unbelievable hmm. trying to figure it all out. But I'm, a, I'm not going to ask you how many you, you guys harvested mm-hmm. um, because I want there to be a little bit of... I, I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to watching it already. Um, did you... Last question for you on this. Did you cook any up while you were there? We did. And how do they taste? So we shot birds, yes. And I want to I mention this, right? Todd's a good friend. Flip is a good friend. Flip and I share some history with Temple Fork Outfitters, the rod company, yeah. and Rick Pope and Jim Shulin. Um, Rick has a ranch in Texas that Flip loves to go and hunt. I've hunted some of Flip's favorite spots on the ranch, including a famous little rock called Butt Crack. <laughs> but while there, um, let me back up. Flip pulls this thing out of his boat and says, I want you to have this. And it's a brace for birds. It's a holder for harvested birds that he had handmade while sitting out on some of these spots at the Hmm. ranch. Cool. So from now till eternity, you will see me with these little bird holders hanging from the side of my vest, and that is just a precious, precious gift from Flip that, I won't ever forget. Everything we do is about stories and memories, and mm-hmm. that little piece is now part of my story because of Flip Palette. Holy Love cow. Um, so, yes, we harvested birds. Um, they have a favorite spot in the trees where we pulled up on shore. There's sand underneath. Um, um, Todd loves these fire discs, which they use. It's a Texas invention that has spread to Florida. Um, so we fried up birds, we did potatoes, we had venison steaks, we had hog sausage. Oh, man. Um, may or may not have been some frigate rum yeah? in the mix. I was going to say, you got a, you have a shot of rum in there? Of which there's an 8-year, a 12-year, a 15-year, a 21-year. Um, wow. Yeah, when you talk epic, yeah, right, this is it. And the other thing I want to say before we... We wrap up this portion of it. It is a story about clean water. It doesn't matter where you hunt birds in this world. The story is the same. It is habitat. It is clean water. And it is a changing landscape. They have challenges there. And Flip and even Todd have seen changes to that landscape. Biggest change being... They spray glycosphate down there, hmm. right? What's the reasons for that? Uh, they're trying to deal with invasive weeds, and they widely spray it down there. Flip was telling us stories about, I mean, just booms, just spraying the landscape along the river. While it's killing invasives, it's killing natives. Every dang thing else, and... It goes up the food chain, the invertebrates, the we, you know, mm. all the way up. So it's it's a little bit disheartening, but 
but they have groups down there that are trying to do some conservation work and education work. And although it is an uphill battle, they're working on it. Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't matter where you live in America. There are likely birds that you can hunt. Yep. And they all need the right habitat to survive and thrive. Yep. And each one of us, it might be a small part of it, but we all have a part to play in um, protecting it. And if you have not put one of these hunts on your list, yeah. <laughs> book a flight, get to Orlando, rent a vehicle, and drive to Titusville and hunt. Yeah, I look back on our season and uh, the variety that we, the variety of places we've been, and you and I have always had a, a kind of a desire for adventure. Wanderlust. You know, yeah. yeah. What's over the next hill, mountain, marsh, yep. you name it. Uh, you know, so my my elevation was about 14,000 feet this year. Yours was at sea level. Sea level. And the variety of birds that are out there, it's fun. You know, it's fun. We're, we're blessed that you and I are blessed that we get to go experience these things as part of our job and try to share the stories. Um, I don't take it for granted. I know you don't either. I'm looking forward to watching this. And, you know, we're, we'll wrap this up here by just saying another adventure that exists for everybody to attempt. I assume you were hunting on public land, Bill, right? It's all public. Yeah. And- and I actually, on my hunting tag, which was $94 total, migratory tag, which is free as part of the small game hunting license in Florida, also bought for a WMA, I don't know, which is 26 bucks. It allows you to hunt wildlife management areas that are there, and we never even had to touch those because of where we were. <laughs> Ask me about a rocket. What, what happened to the rocket, Bill? So... Have you ever seen a rocket blast off? Uh, not, not in an person. in your not backyard. In, not but, in person. So neither have I, and neither has photojournalist Aaron Ochtenberg. So we just happened to look at the calendar for Cape Canaveral, Kennedy Space Center, and I'll be darned. Thursday night, there's a rocket going. Elon Musk is going to make our flesh episode. <laughs> so we drive around, and it's amazing because you've got the coast, then you've got what's called the Indian River, which is this monstrous body of water. And then you've got this little strip of land that is truly the coast, which is out where Kennedy Space Center is. So we take the bridge up and over and out there, and you can see Apollo rockets, Falcon rockets, um, space shuttle setups, and then the orange cones and the flashing orange light with the road crews that block everything up because the rocket launches are happening. So we turn around, we drive back over um, to the mainland, find our spot. We've been hunting for a couple of days. We're tired. We're soaked because it's just been steady rain each day. And they scrapped the mission on us. Oh, no. Team minus. Oh, scrubbed. We'll try again tomorrow. Because the rain or what? Yep. (laughs) Which, which, so just... So Johnny, um, our airboat captain, he had like 38 years working at the Kennedy Space Center. And he said it's what's amazing is NASA was so tight about every freaking decision they ever make. Oh, too much pollen in the air. Let's cancel the These private guys, uh, we got wind, we got rain. 
light that baby up. We're sending it up. And they said it's been such a change, so we expected that maybe it would go. It would go. <laughs> so we're thinking, all right, second chance at Rocket. Scrubbed the next day. Because a cruise ship out on the ocean gets off its course and flies into or, you know, drifts into the flight path of this rocket. So just in case something goes wrong, the rocket's going to fall on this cruise ship and blow everyone up so it gets scrapped. And Didn't they know you were waiting? The nerve. Duh. Jeepers. So you didn't get to see the, the spaceship take off after all. No. And it's oh. funny because my phone blew up last night with pictures of <laughs> Take wild <off>. steaks <laughs> and greens being cooked on the dang <laughs> fire disc among the palm trees in Florida. And here's this line across the sky. They're all sending us pictures <laughs> of the rocket finally blasting off. And I just buzzed back and I said, fake news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike snipe hunting, uh, yes, yes. Snipe hunting is real and alive. And you just have to head uber down. Uber legit. Yeah. Holy cow, I can't wait for people to see this episode. I'm it's excited. Amazing. Thanks for joining us today, Bill. Welcome back. Glad you didn't have too much sunburn. Oh. Good luck with the beard. <sighs> I spent like $25 on 80 SPF. And it's just sitting in the suitcase. What a Son waste. of a gun. It doesn't go bad. You can use it this summer. All right. Yeah. <laughs> just a quick reminder that our episodes of the Flush Television Show are going up every Monday on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to our page or our channel and you won't miss an episode. You can watch them in their entirety. We hope you enjoy them. We hope you enjoy this podcast. If you have questions, comments, guest ideas, topics, anything for me, send them my way. We're always looking for the next story, the next guest the next adventure uh we love to hear from you and talk with you uh we'll be back next week it will not be me brandon i'm taking a day off i'm actually a couple days i'm having a baby i think it's much deserved and congratulations thank you travis you're having a baby sort of i mean technically that's how it works my wife is but i'll be there i'll be by your side thanks buddy thank you appreciate (laughs) that exciting time scott franz and i believe will take this seat here and he's got some pretty cool topics that he wants to cover so i hope you'll join him next week and then i'll be back and i've got a bunch of other guests i'm excited to interview so i hope you'll hope you'll join us Uh, I'm Travis Frank, reminding you to take the time to introduce someone new to the field.